Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Project Life Mastery Podcast. I'm Stefan James, founder of ProjectLifeMastery.com internet entrepreneur and life coach with a passion for living life to the fullest and fulfilling my potential as a human being. My purpose for this podcast is to be a powerful and passionate example of the unlimited possibilities that life offers for any of us that has the courage to commit ourselves to life mastery while sharing ideas, concepts, and strategies that can help you master every area of your life from your health mindset, emotions, business, finances, relationships, and spirituality. Now, if you're someone like me that is hungry to take their life to the next level, then you're in the right place. Welcome and let's begin. Today, I'm going to share with you a little bit about NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. And I'm going to share with you a little bit about how this technology works and how you can use it to change your life so that you can better communicate with yourself so that You can influence yourself in a much more effective way so that you can overcome certain limitations in your life, such as limiting beliefs or fears and phobias or limiting patterns of thinking, feeling, and emotions and behaviors. And then I'm also going to share with you how you can use NLP to better communicate with others so that you can have better relationships, so that you can influence others in a more effective way, so that you can help other people to be able to overcome their fears and their limitations as a great coach or leader. Now, what is NLP? What does it stand for? Well, NLP is Neuro Linguistic Programming, and the neuro represents our brain or our nervous system, which is what allows us to experience life and represent certain information to ourselves, certain feelings and emotions, and it's the home of all of our behavior. Linguistic uh, stands for our language or the words that we use to express our feelings and uh, our emotions and our thoughts, and programming represents the actions that we take to produce specific results, or it's also the script or the programming or the conditioning, if you will, that we run. Now, NLP was founded in the 1970s, and it was founded primarily by two men, although there was a group of people that really developed it and developed it since. Uh, But the two primary founders are Richard Bandler and John Grinder. Now, Richard Bandler uh, was a mathematician and a Gestalt therapist. He studied the work of Fritz Perls, who's the founder of Gestalt Therapy. And uh, John Grinder was a linguist, and he studied language. And what these two men did was in the 1970s, they were really curious um, of studying different therapies, and they wanted to learn from the top therapists in the world so that they could change their life and also be able to help other people as well. And so they studied some of the top therapists in the world, uh, people like from Gestalt Therapy, Fritz Perls and Virginia Satire, and then also um, hypnotherapists like Milton Erickson. And they approached it from a standpoint of not taking on any of the presuppositions that different therapies tend to have, the belief systems that can sometimes be in a little bit of conflict, but they approached it with an open mind and they didn't really care what they said they were doing, but they more so watched and observed as modelers, which is a principle of NLP, to model other people. And they would break down the language that they would use 
and a very systematic process to be able to produce change in other people. So they were learning from the top therapists in the world, identifying and breaking down everything that worked, and that's how NLP essentially was formed. And so it's formed off the, the, the concept in the process of modeling, which means that if anyone's getting a result, okay, any result whatsoever, you can get the same result as well if you break down and you model their language patterns, uh, the, the, you know, the nervous system in terms of uh, how they're representing the information to themselves, their behaviors, their actions, their physiology, all the different elements that NLP teaches. That if you model that, you essentially elicit the strategy that they use to be able to get that result, then you can also. So, for example, with NLP, they used to, um, you know, study, you know, there's one uh, thing that they used to do was uh, they would study the, uh, in the U.S. Army, the top marksmen, the top people, you know, shooting pistols, and they were able to break down and model what the top pistol shooters were able to do, their exact process of what they visualized, what they said to themselves in their head, the images that they made, their physiology. They broke down. They understood all of that so that they could train uh, other and then someone else who's not a great pistol shooter whatsoever, maybe the first time shooting, and be able to get a very similar, the exact same result by eliciting the strategy and then be able to adopt it. And the same principle really works for different areas of life. If you want to achieve success, model other people that are successful, model their beliefs, their actions, their behaviors, the, you know, their the, the process in their mind. If you model that and you learn that from them, then you can also replicate their success and get the same result. That's essentially what you know, you're doing when you're consuming my content, when you're going through uh, different training and courses and learning from mentors or reading books. You're essentially modeling and learning from these other people their strategies so that you can adopt that to yourself. Now, how did I come across NLP? I'll share with you guys a story. I, actually, when I was 17 years old, many of you guys know, that's when I got into self-development. That's when I was really eager and committed to change my life. And I was shy. I was insecure. I was depressed. I had very low self-esteem. And uh, I remember I came across um, an audio program that I bought at the time by a man uh, by the name of Paul McKenna. And Paul McKenna, you might have heard of him before. He's somewhat known in the NLP community, but he's an NLP practitioner and also a hypnotherapist. And he used to have these audio CDs that I would listen to before going to bed where he'd hypnotize me and he'd run these NLP patterns uh, so that I could be more confident. And that was my initial exposure to it. And then since then, just being in the self-development industry of reading books and learning and growing, I realized that uh, NLP was a really powerful technology that could help impact my life because so many people out there used it in a very effective way. Tony Robbins, uh, being someone that's been a mentor of mine and impacted my life, also started his career with NLP and it was you know, one of uh, the ways that he coaches people and at his seminars and events, he does a lot of NLP as well. So uh, I was really um, curious about it and I wanted to learn more about how I could use it for myself because I had certain things that I wanted to change in my life. You know, like I said, it was my shyness and insecurity and my mental limitations that I had on myself uh, as well as, you know, getting in better shape and being able to... Um, uh, attract a partner to be able to build a business, to be able to make money, etc. NLP has helped me with all of that, okay? And uh, I started learning NLP just throughout the years, throughout my 20s. Um, I decided to go deep with it and really, um, you know, step it up at another level a few years ago. And I went to an NLP practitioner training. And they have these all over the world, different NLP uh, trainers, put them on so that you can attend. Usually it's about a nine-day program. 
And uh, by the end of it, you end up getting uh, becoming a licensed NLP practitioner. So for me, a few years ago, I became a licensed NLP practitioner. And uh, it's been great. And uh, a lot of the techniques and things I've learned, I, like I said, I use a lot on myself. And also when I coach people and I help other people as well, it's made a big difference with that also. Uh, but I will mention, you know, what I'm going to share with you guys in this video is just my basic, fairly basic understanding, let's say, of NLP, uh, my study and research of it of the, uh, a few years now. But by all means, I'm not an NLP. I'm not a master practitioner. So there's different levels. You then can become a master practitioner and then you can become a trainer. And so I'm not quite there yet, although I'm probably going to go down that direction. But uh, I do recommend beyond what I share with you in this video to help to actually, if you want to learn more, uh, dig deeper with it. And maybe I'll have a blog post that will go along with this video that will link to a lot of books that I've read and help provide more information that you can learn more about NLP. Now, where do I start? Um, there's so much to NLP. Uh, I can maybe share with you guys a bit of the tip of the iceberg with it. Um, NLP has certain principles. Certain presuppositions is what they call them um, to help you understand it a little bit better. And one of those uh, principles is the saying and the concept that the map is not the territory. Okay, the map is not the territory. Now, what does that mean? What that means is that sometimes what is seen on the surface isn't really what's going on uh, in a certain situation. What it means is that reality is something that nobody really knows what reality is because we all have different perceptions of reality. What's true for you or what's your level of reality about your experience of something might be totally different for myself versus somebody else because we all filter things. We all create different meanings and perceptions of events of our lives, the external world, and we process it in very different ways. Okay, so the map is not the territory in the sense that everyone is going to have a different map for, different, for, for the same territory, right? It's, it's, it's everyone is different in that way. And what's important is not reality, okay? It's not, not really reality, but how we represent it to ourselves, the meaning that we give certain things. So for example, one person might say, well, you're ugly, okay? And they might say that to someone else. Well, saying this is that you're uh, someone that you're ugly or you believing that you're ugly, is that reality? Nobody really can know or say that because all that really is is a perception. That's one person's perception, or you could say that society's perception that that person's ugly, but really, the experience of that person's reality, whether they're ugly or they're attractive or sexy, is going to be their perception of how they represent it to themselves. So meaning one person could, by everyone else's perception, be ugly by their reality of it, but they might not feel that way because they've decided that you know they want to use a different meaning or different perception. They have the belief that they're sexy, that they're attractive. Okay, so that's really what that means. And what I've learned from NLP that's been really useful for me in my life is that what is true, you know, true, because again, there's really no true, you know, it's just different perceptions of things of how we experience the world. But what's more important than what's really reality or true is whether or not it's useful. Okay. That's a core principle that NLP operates off of whether or not it's useful. So for example, maybe you believing that you're sexy and attractive and that might not be based on everyone else's uh, perception of their experience of you, but maybe that's not useful for you. Maybe it's useful for you to believe that you're sexy or attractive. And you know what happens is by you believing that and having that belief that's useful and empowers you, it can empower your life in much more effective ways. Okay. So what's useful oftentimes is what's most important. And that's what I tend to uh, focus on in my life is making sure that my beliefs empower me 
and they're useful for me. And that's one of the ways that you can use NLP. Now, NLP um, it also is based off of a certain model of how we process information and how we represent or represent things to ourselves. So we all have different modalities, okay? And there's three, uh, a, a model of three prime ones that we focus on. One is uh, the V, so it's called VAK, okay, VAC. The V is visual, which are images that we represent to ourselves in our mind, okay? We see certain images. Uh, the A is auditory, which are sounds that we hear. And the K is kinesthetic, which are uh, the emotions or feelings or physical touch, okay? Now, if I were to say to you, for example, um, you know, tell me, you know, tell me what you did today. Well, oftentimes, um, when someone is communicating, they're uh, processing information, okay, their thoughts and, and representing things to themselves. So again, images, auditory, or feelings. So if I ask you about your day, you might say, well, you know, I woke up this morning and. You know, I, I went for a walk and I went to the gym and did my morning ritual. And that person is either, again, processing visual, auditory, or kinesthetic. That information, they're either seeing images of them going to the gym or what they did that day. And that's the way that they're expressing and experiencing that emotion. Now, what they found is that based on where we store information and represent it to ourselves, you can tell when you communicate with someone based on where they move their eyes. Okay, the concept is called eye accessing cues. So for example, someone that is making images or pictures in their mind when they communicate or access information, they're oftentimes looking up. Okay, they're looking up in a more visual way. And depending on whether they're right or left-handed, either they're gonna look up and remember information by looking up to the right or constructing it by looking up to the left. So either remembering or making up. So for example, if I were to ask you the question, um, you know, what color uh, was the house that you grew up in when you were a kid? You might look up and you're going to look up to one side so that you can remember and see that image of it. Okay. If I were to ask you, what would you look like um, in a, a pink polka dot shirt that's skin tight right now? What would you look like? Then you're going to look up, make an image of it, but you might look over to your left because you're going to construct an image of that. Okay, and oftentimes they say that you can use eye accessing cues to be able to understand whether or not someone's lying or not because they'll look to one direction or the other, but it's often based on whether they're right or left-handed. Um, now, if I were to ask you, um, you know, what's your favorite song? How does your favorite song go? Then you might look over to the left because you're accessing the information you're hearing, okay, representing that to yourself in terms of the audio. Um, if I were to ask you, uh, you know, what's your favorite... Um, What's your favorite texture? What does it feel like? Or what does it feel like to be able to pet a cat, right? You might look down so that you can actually feel it. Um, so it's important to understand that we represent things to ourselves in different ways. And the reason why this is important is that everything, every memory or everything that you think about or everything in your life, you're processing it in these different modalities, okay? And sometimes what they found is that there are certain strategies um, of certain emotions or behaviors that are empowering you or disempowering you that you can shift by just understanding this alone. And by the way, there's, this is a basic, uh, uh, understanding of this, but there's a lot that you can go deeper with when understanding VAK and just how we represent things to ourselves. Now, let me give you an example of this. So let's say, um, 
you know, if, if there's something in your life, let's say that you are um, procrastinating on, okay, and I'm sure we all have something like that. There's something that's holding us back or there's something that we don't want to do. We know we should do it, but we're not doing it because we're procrastinating. We're a little bit lazy with that. Now, if you and I were working together and I was coaching you, or if you're coaching yourself, you could do this for yourself as well. If you were to close your eyes for a moment and ask yourself, okay, you know, what is it that I'm procrastinating on and make an image of it? And you're free to do this right now as I'm speaking to you. But if you were to close your eyes and make an image of that, there are certain submodalities that can allow us to understand why you're feeling that way and how you're representing that to yourself is making you feel like procrastinating or unmotivated to do it. So for example, with your eyes closed, if you were to make an image of that, what we found is that most people that are unmotivated to do something will make an image of it, but they'll put it off far in the distance or it'll be really small or it will be dim. It might be black and white. It might be really dim. It's very still. And so it's no wonder to, you know, understand why you feel unmotivated to do that or why you're procrastinating on what you need to do because you're representing it to yourself in a disempowering way. On the other hand, what we found is that someone that's motivated, if you were to close your eyes for a moment, and if you're, again, if you're willing to participate right now, I'll show you and help you understand it because I want you to actually experience it and know for yourself, not just what I'm saying. So if you're to close your eyes and imagine something in your life that you're motivated to do, something that you'll love, something that you're excited for. It could be going to the gym. It could be doing your morning ritual. It could be working on your business. It could be spending time with someone that you love. Whatever that might be, it could be playing video games, watching TV. Maybe there's a TV show that you love. Whatever that is, if you were to close your eyes, what we found is that there's a different strategy of submodalities that people use to represent in a visual component. Okay, right now we're focused on the visual. So oftentimes, if you're motivated or excited, that image is close towards you. It's big. It's bright. It's colorful. Um, you know, it's vibrant. It might be moving. It might be like a movie. It might not be still frame. It might have a frame around it. There's certain submodalities, which are patterns, that we'd be able to identify. So with understanding just this alone, if you were to close your eyes for a moment and you were to take that image that you made of something that you're procrastinating on, something you're unmotivated to do, and something that you know you should do but you're not doing it, you make that image, and if you were to close your eyes right now and try this, if you take that image and you bring it close towards you, what happens? Hmm. Just by taking that image and bring it close towards you, all of a sudden it changes how you feel. If you were to take that image bring it close towards you, then make it bigger, how does that make you feel? And if you're to bring it close towards you, make it bigger and brighter, how does that make you feel? What happens if you take that image, you make it even bigger and even brighter and bring it even more closer towards you? Now, oftentimes it changes how you feel about it. Now, you might be doing this right now or watching me and thinking this is silly or weird. Or you might be saying, hey, you know what, Stefan? I don't visualize. It's not true. Everybody visualizes. Everybody. Some, pe- some people just make images so fast that their brain, you know, can't slow it down. And to give you an example, if you were to close your eyes right now and if I were to ask you, what does it say on my shirt? With your eyes closed, what does it say on my shirt? Well, if your eyes were closed and you said that it says strive for greatness, it's because you had to make an image of myself that you're seeing right now on the camera and you had to visualize that to be able to say that. So we all make, make images and visualize things. Okay. Some of us are maybe just a little bit better at it than others. 
So just by changing those submodalities, closing your eyes and taking that thing you're unmotivated to do and, and adopting the strategy that they've already modeled from someone that's motivated to do something, the visual elements, you bring it close towards you, make it big, make it bright, make it colorful, make it moving, right? And just make it more vibrant. That will change how you feel about it. Okay. That will, that, that's only one modality, visual. Okay. And I will mention that uh, oftentimes people, we all process information, visual, auditory, kinesthetic, as well as olfactory or gustatory based on taste and smell. But the VAC is the main one that we use. Um, some people though are more visual than others and some people are more auditory than others. Other people are more kinesthetic. Okay. So we oftentimes have sometimes more one uh, predominant operating mode that we uh, process and use, utilize the most. Okay. And also based on that, we learn based on that too. So for example, in the school system, some people, some kids are maybe more visual and they learn better through visual stimulation by seeing on a whiteboard or a chalkboard or seeing the teacher communicated or flip charts, presentations, PowerPoint. Other people are more auditory. They, they prefer, for example, to listen and that's how they consume. They could have their eyes closed and listen and learn in a great way. Uh, or maybe just listen to audio programs or podcasts. Other people are more kinesthetic where they actually need to experience it and do it. And by the act of doing it or maybe writing it down, they internalize the information in a much more effective way. Okay. Now, in the same, the same way, auditory has certain submodalities as well. Okay. So if I were to, again, ask you that example of something that you're not motivated to do, um, you might close your eyes and hear what you'd hear when you're not motivated to do something. What would you say to yourself, for example? Because some modalities can be the words that you use, the language. So what do you say or what do you say to yourself internally or out loud about whatever it is that you're procrastinating on? And maybe the words that you often use is I don't feel like it. I don't want to do it or I'll do it tomorrow or I don't care. Whatever it is. Now words are one part, but what's the tone that you use? What's the tempo? What's the speed? What's the volume of it? Is it loud or is it quiet? Is it fast or is it slow? Right? And all of a sudden, just by understanding that you might find, you know what? It's quiet. I say it's slow. The tone is down and low. And you can tell just, you know, by how you represent the audio part of it, um, the auditory part, how you, why you're not motivated to do that. But in the same way, again, if you're motivated to do something, we make that switch. If you close your eyes and you imagine something you're excited for, what do you say to yourself then? Maybe you say, I love this. This is fun. This is exciting. This is who I am. I can't wait to do this, right? What do you say when you're really motivated? Then what's the tone of voice you use? What's the volume? What's the, what's, what's the speed, the tempo, you know, understand. And again, if you were to make that switch of what you're unmotivated to do, close your eyes and whatever it is, maybe it's cleaning your room, you know, for example, you could say, I love this. And you can change that as you experience it and you see the image of it and you hear it, or you can even just change what you say to yourself, which might've been the disempowering language is I don't want to do this, but you can change the submodalities. You can change not the content, but how you communicate it. So I love, I, I don't want to do this. So I, sorry, 
I don't want to do this. And you say it with a higher volume and expression and pitch and volume, etc. And it'll change how you feel about it. All of a sudden, you might want to do it just by changing the submodalities of it. And the same thing with kinesthetically as well with NLP is that you would change how you feel about it and the self-talk that you have. And just by using this process alone, you can turn something that you're procrastinated to, you're procrastinating on, you don't want to do it, and change how you're representing it to yourself, change the submodalities, and all of a sudden you'll feel more excited, more passionate to do it. So just this understanding alone can change your life. Understanding that why you're not doing what you do, why you do what you do, why why you don't do what you don't, you're supposed to do. And even understand certain fears you have, phobias, because fears and phobias, um, we represent those to our, uh, in a certain way to ourselves as well. So if you have a fear of sta- uh, snakes, if we have fears of uh, heights or whatever it might be, all that really means is that you're representing that information to yourself in a disempowering way and that you can change it. You can change it just by going through this process. It's amazing how fast you can make that shift. Now, there's other principles of NLP. There's other techniques. Another common one is called anchoring. Anchoring is basically the process where you anchor a certain emotional state Okay, a certain emotional state to something that's unique at its peak of, uh, of intensity with enough frequency, which basically means that that emotion will become anchored uh, to, to something. So let me give you an example. Have you ever had a time in your life where you're driving in your car and you hear a siren in the background and you look in the rearview mirror and you see behind you there's a police car? All of a sudden, in that moment, how does that make you feel? I can guarantee for most people, not all, but for a lot of people, it changes your emotion. It makes you feel a little bit stressed or anxious. A certain emotion is being elicited from that, from that siren, right? From the sound of that or the image of that. That's called an anchor, a trigger. Another example of an anchor is maybe you've got a job and you don't like your boss. And you know, you're feeling great, you're working away at work, and then all of a sudden your boss comes in and all of a sudden it changes how you feel. Just you know, looking at him or hearing his voice, there's a, a certain association that you've anchored, you've linked to him that produces and elicits a certain emotion within yourself. Okay? Anchoring is a common process that a lot of advertisers use to be able to get you to buy their product and build their brand. So for example, what a lot of the advertisers do is they first they'll put on, for example, a TV uh, on the TV screen. They'll play certain imagery or certain sounds that will elicit certain emotions within you. So, for example, Coca-Cola or was it Pepsi? Pepsi, they hire Michael Jackson and they put him on TV and Michael Jackson starts singing and dancing. And all of a sudden, a lot of people, most of society, we link and anchor so much positivity to Michael Jackson that all of a sudden through that you start feeling great, you feel good. And then right at the peak of that, they flash the product. Right? They play the music, the sound, they get you in that state, and then they flash the product, flash the product, flash the product. Now what's happening is you're associating that emotional state to Pepsi, to the product, so that whenever you walk through the store and you see Pepsi, then you're going to feel those emotions because that anchor is going to be set off and you're going to be like the buy it. Okay? And that's what uh, branding is. Branding is uh, association of emotion to uh, the name of a brand or also the logo. Okay, so very common. That's why a lot of companies they they hire uh, athletes and celebrities to endorse their products because already people are anchored to them in certain ways, or they play certain music 
Music is powerful. I'm not sure if you've had this experience before where maybe you're at a dance club or whatever it might be and you're having a conversation. All of a sudden, your favorite song comes on and that favorite song just elicits a certain emotion in you, feel great, and then you just run to the dance floor you want to dance. That's another example of an anchor. Now, how is this useful? Well, with NLP, a big part of it is understanding how to elicit emotions. And now we can elicit any emotion that we desire by making a choice, by changing how we represent and bringing that uh, emotion as an experience. So for example, right now, if, uh, you know, I wanted you to experience the most emotion of happiness. So I bet I can allow you to, to experience that right now. I can elicit that emotion as you're watching or listening to me right now. All I'd have to do is I'd have to say to you, hey, do you remember a time in your life where you really felt happy? Is there a moment in your life, just any moment when you felt happy, uh, you just felt just spontaneous joy or happiness for whatever reason? Maybe it was when you were a kid. Maybe it was when you were an adult. Maybe it was at something that you loved. Maybe it was a birthday, a holiday. Maybe it was with friends or family. Can you remember a time like that? Now, by asking that question, what I'm doing is by asking it, you have to remember, which is you're going to represent images, audio, sounds, as well as feelings to yourself, that's going to allow you to then experience happiness. It'll bring you back to that emotional state. Okay? Just by me asking that question of you. Or I could say, if you can't remember one, then, you know, what would it feel like right now to be happy? You know, what would it really feel like right now if you're just happy and just for no reason whatsoever? So again, I'm asking a question that's going to elicit emotion because it's going to force you to um, represent those feelings to yourself in, in a certain way. All right. Now, when I elicit that emotion, we can anchor that emotion to anything really that you want. Okay. Now, the key to anchoring is making sure that what you're doing um, when you anchor it is unique. Okay. It's unique, which is very important. So oftentimes I use something like I clench my right fist. This is an anchor for me. I've anchored many things to it. Clench my fist or I snap my fingers or maybe it's just pat, pat your shoulder or your back or maybe it's clapping your hands together. Whatever it is, it has to be somewhat unique um, because if it's something that you often do, like just shaking someone's hand, then that's not going to be effective. It's not going to last. Okay, So make it something unique. But if I were to bring out that emotion, just remember a time where I'm happy, where I'm excited, and at the peak of that emotional intensity, I do something unique like I clench my fist or I snap my fingers or I pat my shoulder or I clap my hands, then that feeling of happiness will get linked to the gesture that I just made. Okay, And if you do it at the peak, the key is doing it on the way up to the peak, not down. Because if you do it on the way down of emotion and you anchor that, then you're going to be anchoring the feeling every time you clench your fist. You're going to be dropping down in the state. So you always want it at going up to the peak. And you have to do it with enough consistency and frequency again and again and again. You've got to condition it. You've got to program it, Okay, which is where the programming parts that, uh, comes in with neurolinguistic programming. Okay, so oftentimes I use anchoring anytime I feel, I feel or experience a positive emotion. Either I elicit within myself, maybe I'm at a, a, a concert, maybe I just did a huge accomplishment in my life or whatever it is, and I feel that I always anchor it. And when I do that again and again with enough repetition, then what happens is that any moment in my life where I want to recall that emotion, if I'm tired, if I'm depressed, if I'm sad, if I'm stressed, if all I got to do is just clench my right fist, I'll immediately go back to that emotional state. That's how powerful anchoring is. Just like in the same way, for some people, 
you know, maybe you're, you're, you're really tired and you're exhausted and all of a sudden the phone rings and, you know, on the other side of the voice is a person that you love and all of a sudden you're tired, but now all of a sudden you're in a great state, you're feeling excited and enthusiastic. It's because of the anchor, the association that you have to that. So anchoring is really, really powerful. I use it a lot in my life. I anchor positive emotions. I put myself in a peak emotional state every single day and I anchor that constantly so that anytime I need those emotions, they're right at my fingertips where I can snap my fingers, I can bring myself to that peak state. Very powerful and it's also equally as powerful in the other way because we also have anchors that disempower us. We have triggers in our environment that we're not even aware of. For a lot of people, it's sitting on that certain place of your couch. And the moment you sit down in that spot in your couch, you've anchored depression, sadness, stress, relaxation, and then you follow a certain pattern where you eat junk food and you know maybe you indulge in certain things that aren't really serving you in your life. Right? That is also an anchor. We, so, we make so many of these associations to so many of these different things. And understanding this NLP uh, can really allow you to make that shift uh, with these negative anchors. You can collapse anchors and uh, really use them in a lot of empowering ways. Now, there's a lot more that I can share with you guys. I'll give you a few more principles. Uh, another big concept that I use a lot with NLP is reframing. Okay, reframe. There's actually pre-framing, reframing, and deframing. Okay, different concepts. Pre-framing is what I actually do a lot in almost every video that I do. I did it at the beginning of this video. What did I say at the start of this video or this audio that you're listening to? Is I said, hey, I'm going to share with you a little bit of NLP and I'm going to share with you how it can change your life, how you can use it to communicate better, influence, change how you represent things to yourself and how you feel and your patterns and whatnot. What I was doing is I was pre-framing, which was setting up a frame. Okay, I was setting it up. And when you pre-frame something, you set it up, which is another way of just kind of building something up, then you're going to get a lot more engagement, but also it's going to allow you to change how someone else perceives what you're communicating to them, okay? Or even for yourself, all right? So it's going to hook someone in a way, but also it's going to create a certain perception, I guess you could say. Now, reframing is where you take that frame, okay, let's say there's an image in the frame, a memory, an event of your life. It's where you take the frame of that, you're looking at it, but all of a sudden you turn it. You reframe it. You change the way you look at it. Now, when you change the way you look at things, then the things that you look at change, okay? I'm going to say that again. When you change the way you look at things, the things that you look at change. So, for example, let's say reframing an example of this would be you have this event in your life where, as a kid, um, someone uh, you know someone yelled at you, right? And you made a certain meaning of that that you know they yelled at me, which means that I'm not enough, and that um, you know I'm just not good enough. No one loves me, and I'm a loser. Okay. Now that's based on how you represent that event to yourself. Okay, the frame, the image that you're making of that. But if you were to take that and change it and look at it from a different perspective you might come up with a different meaning. So for example, you might ask, you might look at that and say, hey, you know what? This event, I thought that it, you know, I, I perceived it in the past that it meant that I was not good enough. But now by looking at it in a different perspective, I'm realizing this event was actually a gift. But because this person yelled at me, it actually forced me to grow. You know, it actually made me stronger, made me less reactive to what other people say. 
and you know, not be affected by that. Or because of this event, now it's allowed me to become stronger, to improve myself, and maybe also so that I can improve my self-esteem and love myself more. And because of this, I've actually um, you know, now spending my life to help other people that have also been through the same thing or other things happen. I can make a difference in other people's lives. So you're looking at that event from a different perspective, a different meaning, which is also going to change how you feel how you represent it to yourself. So it's going to change the emotion and the actions that will follow from that. Okay. You can reframe anything in your life, anything that's negative into a positive. This is a very important skill. This skill alone has changed my life in so many ways uh, by taking negative events, negative experiences, looking in a positive way. You know, an example is I get a parking ticket. I could create the reality and the perception and the meaning of that, that, oh my gosh, this is going to cost money. And you know, um, why would I, did I do that? I'm so stupid. And you blame them, you blame the city for, you know, having, you know, the sign wasn't visible enough, or you blame the guy that gave the ticket and you feel all this negative emotion and anger, uh, because of how you're perceiving the event, the situation. But if you were to reframe it and look at it from a different perspective, you could say, hey, you know what? I'm actually grateful for this. I'm grateful. This is actually a gift because, number one, I'm responsible for this. Okay, It's allowing me to take more responsibility. But because of this, uh, I'm grateful for it because I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen again. You know, I'm going to make sure that I park in the right place or I pay more attention. And this is actually a calling for me to grow and become more responsible in my life and uh, become better, You know, be more aware of where I park. Okay, so that's turning into a positive, which will totally change how you feel about it. Okay, you got to reframe any negative event from your life. I don't care what it is. Someone ripped you off. Someone scammed you. Uh, whatever it is, you got to take a hundred percent responsibility for your experience of life, not what happened to you, but what your experience of it is by looking for and changing it from a negative frame and reframe it to a positive. And that will immediately change your emotion. And you could do this with other people as well. And oftentimes it's just asking the question, what's the good in this? You know, what's, what's the good in this? What's great about this? Or how, you know, is it possible that I might have mis, um, misinterpreted this in some way? Maybe someone said something to you, you reacted, you felt hurt. Is it possible you misrepresented that to yourself? Maybe you didn't really know what their intent was, or maybe you're misinterpreting things. And oftentimes people create generalizations and we um, create meanings of things that aren't really true or accurate. And I'm not sure if you've ever had that experience before where you snapped on someone or reacted to something they said, but then afterwards you found out that wasn't their intent at all and that you actually misrepresented it. Sometimes it happens on a phone or text messaging or you know email and stuff where people um, misinterpret things in different ways. They immediately react and then you feel bad about it afterwards. So reframing is very powerful in that way. And then deframing is where you just destroy the whole frame. It's, you know, maybe when you're talking to someone and you just say, uh, you know, uh, you're talking about something, maybe it's a, a, an event and you just say, this is all bullshit. It's not true. It's all lies. It's a story that you're making up. That's just taking the frame and destroying it deframing it. Okay. So they're all different approaches to it. Um, but reframing has been a really powerful concept and skill, um, that I've developed a lot over the years. And I use it a lot when I coach people. And I also use it a lot when I coach and develop myself. Now there's so much more to NLP. Um, you know, communication is a very important aspect of it. Uh, being able to get rapport with other people and connect with them in a more effective way. 
Uh, a big uh, part of that is matching and mirroring. So what they found with NLP, when they study the best communicators, and oftentimes when people are in rapport, when someone's in rapport and they have a connection with someone, it's a feeling of connection. It's a feeling of, of um, familiar, uh, familiarity okay, with, between, between two people. And what they found is that when people go in rapport, they match and mirror each other. So for example, if you and I were sitting across from each other, you know, and let's say we're at a, a coffee shop, you know, two people that are in rapport, they, you know, if one person is leaning in, they'll find it and the other person is leaning in as well. They're almost mirroring each other in that way. Uh, one person goes and they drink the glass of water. The other person does it simultaneously. Um, you know, one person, you know, is tapping their foot or tapping their arms. The other person is also doing that. And they're mirroring each other. They're mirroring their body language, their communication styles when people are in rapport. And you can often, uh, if you go to like a restaurant or a coffee shop, just look to see people. And oftentimes you'll see they're mirroring each other in some way. Well, what they found is that you can actually develop rapport with people really fast by matching and mirroring them. So if I want to get rapport with you and maybe you're sitting down a certain way, you're standing a certain way, I can model your physiology. I can model your breathing and breathe at the same pace, pace as you. I can model your, you know, what you're doing with your hands, whether they're on your lap or whether to, to your side. I can model how you're standing, you know, whether you're standing straight or maybe more uh, angular. I can matter your voice tone, the speed, how excited you are, your body, your, your animation, your gestures, your facial expressions. I can model and mirror that. And if I do that for a few minutes, what will happen is we'll get in rapport. Because automatically you're going to feel that sense of connection with someone because people like people that are like them or like how they want to be. Okay, so you'll immediately get that. Now, what you can do if you really wanted to influence someone is you build rapport with them through matching and mirroring, and then you do what is called pacing and leaning. So if I get rapport with you, and maybe at first we're having a conversation, we're all really excited and getting really fired up about something, and oh my God, did that happen? Or getting, you know, getting really fired up, and I model you, and I put my hands like this too, and my facial expressions, my voice is speaking really fast, and then once we get rapport, I can start to slow it down a little bit, and uh, taking a deep breath and slow down the communication and start to talk about something a little bit else, different, and just by changing the way that I'm communicating and slowing it down, and changing my facial expressions and my gestures and maybe being more quiet and low, what will happen is the other person will follow that. I can take someone that's really you know high up here and bring them down by first getting rapport and then pacing and leading. So it's kind of cool. You know, it's kind of it's, it's an effective way. Now, I guess one of the knocks that people have on NLP is that oftentimes, you know, just understanding this human behavior and whatnot. Uh, some people can use it to manipulate other people and uh, use it in a way where you're influencing them in a negative way. Now, um, I, in my opinion, what it all comes down to with anything is the intent. You know, are you using it really to serve others? Are you doing it in a way where you're coaching them or you're helping them in some way to impact their life in a more empowering way, a more positive way? Or are you doing it to deceive them? Are you doing it to lie? Uh, for, you know, an example of this is I remember... You know, in the dating industry, uh, there's a, a guy named Ross Jeffries who, you know, built a business using NLP to be able to pick up women and kind of manipulate them in some really shady way. And of course, I don't agree with that whatsoever. Um, I think it's all about the integrity of the person that understands human behavior and, and is, is doing it uh, with a positive intent. I think that's the most important thing. Uh, often it's used by a lot of salespeople. 
Um, you know, a lot of uh, sales skills, for example, uh, use NLP to be able to influence people, a lot of marketing and whatnot. And a lot of it, you know, anchoring and all this, it's all things that, you know, is taught in marketing and everything too. Um, and having this awareness can be helpful for you. But one thing I've also learned as well is that we all want to be influenced. We all want to be manipulated. You know, that's why you're watching this video right now that, you know, why do you go to a movie to be manipulated? To be influenced, you you want to to go there and be hypnotized in a way, and you want to be manipulated by the uh, by the movie. You want to be entertained. You want to influence different emotions and feelings and experience different things. And so, in my opinion, we're always being influenced unconsciously, and that's where a lot of NLP takes place. That's where most learning takes place. Most learning happens when we don't even know that we're learning. You know, in fact, you know, right now, watching this video right now or listening to me speak, a lot of what I'm communicating to you is going right through to your subconscious mind. Because oftentimes when someone watches a video or listens to something or you're driving in your car or you're in an elevator, often what happens is we go into trance. And learning, you're often going into trance because if you're in class, for example, and you're sitting there, you're, you're going through a trance. And trance means that you focus internally instead of uh, externally, okay? You're more in here and you're just kind of, uh, you know, oftentimes you're more susceptible, I guess you could say, to certain uh, patterns or, or certain things can influence you more than others. So having that awareness can be helpful. Um, I've been very much aware of NLP and often a lot of seminars, events that I go to and people I learn from. I actually have coaches in my life that coach me, do an NLP on me. Um, and I think we all want to be influenced because, most, you know, you're watching this video right now, you're investing in training or coaches or whatnot or going to seminars because you can't influence yourself. You know, you've tried or maybe you haven't been effective with it. So you're paying someone else to be able to influence you and be able to help you uh, in different ways of your life. So just being aware of it, I think, is effective uh, with understanding and learning NLP. And just make sure that the people that you're learning from have the best intent. Their intent is to serve, their intent is to help you in an effective way. And uh, just understand it and be able to uh, utilize this more for your life to be able to uh, improve and grow in a much more effective way. Now, there's a lot more I could share with NLP, but this video has been going on for almost 45 minutes now. So I think I'll wrap it up. But what I'll do is that if you're interested in learning more about NLP, um, I have a blog post. And I'll link to that uh, in the description of the video. Or if you go to projectlifemastery.com and head on over there and search for NLP, then uh, the blog post that I have there um, will have some books and resources that I can recommend. Uh, ones that, that, that uh, have been written by John Grinder and Richard Bandler. Um, some old ones back in the 70s as well as more newer ones. Um, there's a lot of audio programs and people that can teach it that are much more effective at it than I am. And of course, uh, there's uh, ways that you can get uh, certified if you want to be, able, to be able to actually learn more about it as well. So I think overall NLP has been powerful for me. Um, it was something that's always been going on, but by learning it, I have more awareness of it and I can use it more to my advantage in my life to change my life for the better. And then I often use it when uh, I work with clients as a coach. So if you're a coach or maybe you have a team of employees in your business, you want to be able to influence them for the better. It can be very effective for that as well. Um, and uh, it's been great. It's, I think it's really powerful. It's very useful. 
And uh, it's something that if you want to uh, dive deeper into it, then uh, it's pretty fascinating and can help you do so. So I'll link to all that uh, with you guys uh, in the blog post at projectlifemastery.com. But I want to thank you so much for watching this video. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, if you're looking for more from me, uh, some resources that I put together that uh, have a bit of NLP in it is number one, my Life Mastery Accelerator program. Okay, so my Life Mastery Accelerator program at lifemasteryaccelerator.com is actually a monthly mentoring program that I have where I do a deep dive to different areas of life. And uh, in one of the months, when you sign up, you get access to previous months, but one of the months I go into emotions and I actually guide you through a process of being able to feel motivated around anything that you want in your life. And the people that have had go through it have shared with me it's been one of the most powerful things for them and really helped them, you know, something they're procrastinating on or they want to shift just by me doing a guided visual, uh, guided uh, meditation, a guided visualization to help make that shift. And we have a lot of people that listen to it again and again and again. So that's at lifemasteraccelerator.com if you want to get more deeper with my work and uh, some of the NLP that I've done for some of my coaching programs. You can download or listen to that if you're a member of the uh, of that program as well as my Morning Ritual Mastery program because uh, that's at morningritualmastery.com. This has been a very powerful program that's helped a lot of people because one of the ways that I condition, I do the programming to condition patterns of emotions, feelings, because uh, any emotion or behavior is just a pattern. Okay, I want you to understand. It's just a pattern that we've, a script that we've run again and again. It's almost like on a record or a CD that's burned a pattern. You put it in a CD player, it's going to run that same pattern again and again. Well, in the same way, we have certain patterns of emotions and feelings. We have patterns of behavior that become habits for us, habitual emotions and habitual behaviors. The way to overcome that and shift it is you have to recondition yourself. And that's why morning rituals for me have been so powerful because I spend my morning conditioning myself using a lot of NLP patterns. So I elicit certain emotions and I condition it again and again and I anchor it so that all throughout my day or at any other moment of my life, I can elicit that emotion again by the anchors that I've established throughout my rituals. So a morning ritual, if you don't have one, is one of the most powerful things to condition yourself every day, to condition your habits, your beliefs, your emotions, your thoughts to overcome some things and uh, you know to anchor what it is that you want. So morningritualmastery.com will teach you a lot more about that, how to create an empowering ritual, and I'll link to those uh, below for you as well, but I just wanted to provide some additional resources that I think can really help you. So I wanna thank you so much for watching this video. Hopefully you enjoyed it and it gave you more uh, understanding of NLP and how it can impact your life. And uh, if you enjoyed this, give the thumbs up button. Uh, if you uh, have any experience with NLP, I'd love to know. Leave a comment. I'd love to know your experiences with it, whether it's brand new for you uh, or if you're going to be curious to learn more about it, if you're writing the books, if you're also a practitioner, I'd love to hear from you. And uh, make sure to subscribe for more videos. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for joining me today and listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or received any value, then I'd love for you to leave an honest review on iTunes and subscribe to the Project Life Mastery podcast for future episodes. And of course, to receive more content and value, make sure to find and follow me at www.projectlifemastery.com for more. Thanks again. Remember to always believe and commit your life to mastery. I look forward to talking to you again soon. 
With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.